0: uso Hello and welcome to this episode of Breaking Bread, the Birmingham food Podcasted, presented by Food Obsessed Mate's Liam McCall. I'm Liam, hello, and today's guest, you've probably seen him a lot on telly lately, and he is the winner of MasterChef 2019, Stuart. Hello how are you doing? How's things, mate?
1: Yeah, all good. Just, you know, chilling, normal stuff. Chilling. This fame hasn't gone to your head. No, definitely not. I think it, you know, it's important to just stay doing what you do. That's it. You struck me as
0: kind of down to earth in the whole kind of show. Do you think the like especially I think Marcus Waring seemed to kind of he just seemed to like you from the very first episode?
1: Yeah, I think the thing is I, I kind of all the way through um, reflected what my style is and it was about kind of showcasing Birmingham food, about staying loyal to what I enjoy and that's that's really what I tried to show and with dishes like the faggots which is kind of known for our being, you know, kind of in our area and stuff like that and using banks is bitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: We'll get back obviously to Chef, but I want to go to the beginning so like have you always loved food and it's a very cliche question to ask a chef but has it always been something you wanted to do obviously you trained at Howzo in college
1: yeah I've I've always I always wanted to cook I mean watching programmes like Ready Steady Cook and watching Gordon, Gary Rhodes you know I mean I wouldn't say Angely Harriet but yeah Angely <laughs> Harriet um, I'll tell you what do you know I mean? chefs come here and say to us like that
0: they, they're chefs now because of Ready Steady Cook everyone like jokes about it and slags it off and stuff but there's so many chefs now who love that like I think it goes back to the kind of wild element like you just get a plastic bag full of ingredients and see what what you can do with that like
1: yeah it just sounds like a Saturday night at the moment for us to be honest um, <laughs> but no it, it's definitely something that sparked my interest kind of really because school was crap and I hated school and spent very little time there really just end up either wagging lessons or just wagging the whole day. Um, yeah. And then when I kind of found food and saw what I could do, that really enticed my interest.
0: Did you, You're a local, local lad from Birmingham, yeah?
1: Yeah, so I live just outside of Bearwood. I've always lived within a mile of where I live now. And I, I love it. I love where I live. Um, I've, I've worked other places. I've worked in Leamington Spa. I've worked... Over at brockencote Hall, but I've never moved house. I've always commuted wherever I work because I refuse to move. Yeah, <laughs> what's one
0: of them places people like to look down a bit upon? But it's got such a great community, hasn't it? Tell me who
1: looks down upon it, and I'll, I'll go <laughs> round. Um, no, it's it, it's a it's a great place to live, and it you know it's got that village feel, even though it is just a little kind of town centre. Um, but it's. It's kind of getting better and better, and I think people are starting to understand what food is all about. It's not just for the sake of eating anymore; it's about yeah. the pleasure of the experience as well. So, did you you finish school and went
0: straight to How Own College, or
1: yeah? So I finished school, um, went to Hows Own College, and that really opened my eyes to what the industry was and gave me that. That passion and that spark of kind of seeing something different because school was so dead for me that that really took my interest from day one and that was something that I really needed what do you think
0: got it, got you into it was it the creativity of it like you could express yourself because you know school's so rigid and fuck.
1: I think it was just the thought of playing with sharp knives to be honest <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how did you get on in college were you really good from day one talented or did you
1: yeah I mean I mean I mean some of the people I went to college with i.e. Biddle would say that he carried carried me through college but no Um, I mean there's two types of people in the world isn't there there's the people that are naturally talented and the people that are talented through hard work and I'm definitely the 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 latter one you know it's it's a case of you just kind of find what you want to do and you put as much hard work into it as you can until you start to get better and that really was the case with me so you, would you say you were like a standout pupil or
0: average? Um, or? oh I wouldn't I wouldn't. his friends with us in the studio and he's nodding his head off like definitely
1: yeah. <laughs> no I wouldn't say I was a standout pupil I mean it's it was just it, it was something that I really kind of took an interest in so then that made me stand out I guess from just you know going home and looking at chefs and looking at what they were doing dishes and just researching recipes cooking at home things like that and that really started to create a divide between me and the other people that were in my class and the fact that half of them dropped out before we even got through half the year so <laughs> <laughs> did you cook much at home? Yeah, I used to cook a lot at home. I mean, I have mentioned it a few times. I won't mention it in too much detail again, but my mum wasn't the greatest of cooks. Um, There's only so many times you'll get away with saying that about
0: your mum. Yeah, but I'm
1: pretty sure she won't listen to this one. She she doesn't know what the internet is yet, so (laughs) it should be all right. Um, I hope
0: she doesn't because she's going to kill you. Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, at least I won't be able to do it again if she does. (laughs)
0: once you finished at how's owen did where did you go straight to simpsons or
1: no so i finished it it was quite a long journey to get to simpsons even before that and a a few kind of bumps on the way so how's owen college was great that kind of set me up for the industry um and gave me the right kind of ideas and stuff of what i was going to be going into I, i did um a competition at college and the head chef from James Italian at the time Gareth Howard came in and judged the competition and he said you know kind of based on what he saw even though I didn't win the college competition I'm not bitter about it but you know
0: <laughs> still remembers it yeah. how many years later I mean, but I, I bitter
1: should have won, won. But, um, <laughs> what did you cook do you remember what you cooked I, I, I can but I'm not telling you <laughs> um, <laughs> no it he came in and he kind of said, "You know, you're the one who has the most passion, and if you want a job, a job's available. Come over, have a chat to me." And I was like, "Wow, I'm going to work for Jamie, Jamie Oliver, and it's going to be amazing." I walked in, did my trial, and they were like, "We've got 400 book for lunch," and I went, uh you know, Jeez. a little bit of poo come out, and then ba- baptism of fire." With it.
0: Yeah. So, how did that first one go then?
1: Yeah, it, be, just because I've always from going to house in college i've always loved food and i've loved cooking and i've loved how diverse it is that you can walk into so many different styles of restaurants and the basic skills still apply you know and walking into a restaurant where you do 400 covers the the food might not be as intricate yeah um but at that time i didn't know what intricacy in food was anyway so it was a an eye-opener just to go there and just just to and experience it
0: did you stay there for long or? Uh,
1: I was there for about six months and I had a chat with Gareth who his background was mostly at the uh, Hardwick, Herdwick with Stephen Terry. Um, so he kind of knew what Michelin and Rosette kind of cooking was. And he said, I think you've got more of a passion to go down those lines, really. And so then I applied for a job with Steve Love, who was at, yeah. at Love's at the time on Canal Square. And uh, he got three rosettes and I walked in and it was just like, you know, tweezers on everything and like little herbs and little garnishes. And it just captured my kind of, my interest. And uh, I looked around and looked in the fridges and I was like, wow, like I've never seen half of this stuff before. You know, there's definitely a few things that I saw that I wouldn't repeat. Um, No, but it was was, um, an eye-opener to what potentially, it, it never had a Michelin style, but it could have, Potentially if it had been open a little bit longer, Um, but it did have three rosettes and it was good to just get that experience and also had Ed working there, who's a great chef.
0: How was the like um, the adjustment going from somewhere like Jamie's Italian to somewhere that like a rosette?
1: restaurant oh it was carnage mate like I remember
0: (laughs) did you adapt fast or was it yeah
1: well I I was six months out of college you know college teaches you all these things teaches you how to use a knife it doesn't teach you how to work 90 hours a week I remember coming up with this like cunning plan which I thought was a great idea at the time which was to set off two hours before I needed to be at work so that I could park in the car park and have another hour in the car (laughs) to try and avoid the traffic which at the time I thought was great, but then looking back on it, you know, now I can barely get up half an hour before I got to be in work. But
0: <laughs> you're young, you're naive. What can you do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, did you
1: stay there for long? Or so I was there for about six months. And you know, I'm quite honest about it. I think in this industry, you have to be honest, and you you have to be honest with yourself when you you aren't coping with something. And it was a real difficult time for me because I was 19 years old Um, I was working 90 hours a week in a kitchen where there was just three of us one of them was the owner so he wasn't going to do his own washing up so had to run two sections in essence and do the pot wash as well um, whilst doing 90 covers
0: so, like so, you eventually walked away, or yeah. yeah. I'll,
1: I'll be honest, you know, I, I kind of said to him one day, like I'm not coping, and his his answer was, "Well, you just have to get on with it." And yeah. so I decided, I'll grab my knives, I'll go, you know, and it's not the best decision I've ever made I I wish that no one would ever do that to me yeah um but at the same time you have to be honest with your own kind of feelings and if you're not feeling it and if you're not coping it's better to walk away from a situation you can't handle Mm -hmm. than to try and suffer it
0: was there any part of you that thought maybe I'm gonna go and do something else and step away from chefing altogether or
1: I mean I don't I don't like to speak badly of other people but I think it definitely still is a driving motivation to this day that when I did walk out and when I did turn my phone on the next day of course I was expecting abuse you know I, I'll i be honest if someone did that to me now I'd give them a load of abuse <laughs> yeah. um, but Steve had texted me and said well done you're going to be flipping burgers for the rest of your life and oh, wow. that, that was something that to this day still spurs me on and it will spur me on forever to kind of defeat that kind of thought that i'm gonna
2: just be stuck in a dead end because i'm not no you know so would you say that sort of ignited your ambition to prove him wrong almost
1: yeah i think there's a lot of things that have ignited my you know my sense to achieve because one being being a brummy, you know people sometimes look upon us as if we're not second you know like second grade citizens and we're not and that's that's something that drives my ambition it's people that doubt you, drives your ambition, and just to provide for your family and to, to be the best at whatever you can be. And that's what I've always tried to do.
2: So where did you yeah. move to from there? Like, Were you off for a while or did you take a break and then try no, and dip we, back into it? or
1: You know, kind of like I say, I was I grew up in a working class family and I can't afford to go to my dad and say, oh, I've lost my job, you know. So I just had to quickly try and cover it over and find another job as quickly as I could. And um, from there, I then went to Brock and Hall in Worcester, in which I did... I started as a commie you know it's a a bigger brigade kind of and that gave me that security that um, feeling of that there's more people here than just me that's liable for the bollocking because at Love's, I was always the one that got the bollocking because the, above me was just the sous chef and the owner. So <laughs> yeah. there's no one else there's in no the no one else line. taking the flag. Yeah, exactly. So then I went there and it it was a lot easier. It was a lot easier to transition into this like fine dining kind of chef, I guess. Brilliant. And how long were you there for? So I was at Brockencote for two years. Um, so that was at the time when Adam Brown was there. So Adam Brown was big into like foraging and into using, you know, real great produce, which is something I hadn't experienced before. Like, you know, I grew up eating amazing produce. So seeing fresh scallops come through the door every day, fresh razor clams, lobsters, crabs, turbot that was 10 kilos in size, you know, (laughs) this is like proper cooking. And that was something that really again opened my eyes to what cooking really
2: was and did you move up the ranks there at all or did you say at the same level yeah
1: so I, I started off as a commie um then moved up the ranks to senior chef to party um to the point where i was kind of running most sections by the meat and fish which was always done by a sous chef pastry included you know as part of the kitchen you had to know the pastry as well there was no pastry chef it was just a cdp on every section
2: that's quite a big move in two years as well. So you must have had a natural talent straight from the off, really.
1: I think it's, it's always a case of that because I'm aware and I've always been aware that I'm not naturally talented at it, I'm the one that's willing to
2: work the hardest. You're there, you put putting the hour, you there before everyone else, there after everyone else. Yeah,
1: not always before. I mean,
2: <laughs> I, I, well, definitely, you know, the one that
1: tries to just battle it out to the end and, Almost at some points in my career, especially when I was younger, I was too stubborn to ask for help. I would just try and get on with it. And then, you know, as I've got older, I've realized it's a team game. It's not a one one player game. Yeah. What were the hours like there? Were you still doing 90 hours? No, I think I think realistically the hours were about 65, 70 at the most. Um, you know, during the summer it can be a bit of a wedding venue. So we would get Saturday nights off sometimes. So actually it was a bit of a jolly sometimes
2: and it was great. Oh, right. Nice. So where did you go next? And why? actually, why did you leave there?
1: So I left there because for probably about, well, probably the second year that I was there, Brock & Coat was highly tipped to get a star. And I was like, you know, this is something I really want to do. I want to work in a Michelin star restaurant. So I stuck it out for the second year. And because I thought, you know, it's not going to hurt and i'm getting great kind of training off these guys these chefs that work there because at the time when i started adam reed was there as well from the french um so there's been some great chefs pass through there and also simon hayes the exec chef of the whole group you know he's he's a brilliant chef like he was sous chef at le manoir back in the day when he was 25 so there's there's a great potential for people to learn in that kind of environment and So then when we didn't get a Michelin star, I thought, well, that's something I really want to learn. I really want to go. And I looked around in Birmingham and people always talk about Luke at Simpsons, Luke tipping Mm. as being the kind of gentleman chef and being someone who really nurtures talent. Um, So I, just kind of rang up on the off chance and said, could I speak to Luke Tipping and said, oh, he's kind of, he's, he's out at the moment. He's gone home for the afternoon because he's an absolute legend. He, what he does, he goes home in the afternoon, feeds the family, comes back to work. Oh, wow. um, But when he did get back, he actually emailed me and said, if you want to come over tomorrow and we'll have a chat. So I, I went over the next day, kind of explained my intentions. He had already spoke to Steve Love um about me. And, you know, of course, like <laughs> like anyone would if you walked out of a job, he had said, like, you know, don't touch him, blah, blah, blah. Um, but Luke, the kind of gentleman he is, he said, no, I see something in this guy and I'll get him in, give him a go. You know, and obviously I've not, I've not lived like an angel my whole life. Like, we did get in a bit of trouble when we were kids and teenagers and whatever. And that kind of follows you, doesn't it? But then... I kind of accepted this job at Simpsons and went down from being a senior chef to party at Brock and Coat to being a commie at All Simpsons, right. which I think at the time, you know, I, I kind of, I didn't even second think it. I just thought I want to be in this place. I'll take whatever job they give me. Even if they give me a pot wash job, I would have probably took it, you know, because I wanted the training from this guy, this, from Luke Tipping. I wanted him to teach me what he knows.
0: I hear quite a few chefs talk about Luke's like training. What makes it so special? Like everyone loves working for Luke. I,
1: I think it's just because he's so he's so kind of kind, but at the same time, he gives you that almost like a dad. You know, he'll nurture you and he'll get you to do what you're meant to be doing, but he'll do it with tough love. Yeah, um, you know, which is important in this industry. You need to be told when you fucked up, but at the same time, you you don't need, like people don't need to go over the top. The days are gone where you can beat someone for fucking up. Yeah. Like it's, it's not cool anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah, horror stories like from back
1: in the oh, day. Yeah. I mean,
0: we wa- I watched Boiling Point again the other yeah. day, you know, from back in the day, with Ramsey and yeah, that. I'm, and I'm, he's slapping chefs on the back of the head.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> calling yeah, people I'm,
0: frogs and you're like, this is no, just I'm, I'm lucky that
1: I've never experienced that with any chefs that I've worked with to be honest. I think, you know, that whole stigma of the industry is gone. and. all all for the better
0: I think with chefs like Luke I think you don't want to let them down and they're so good to you like I think that's that's as much encouragement to work hard as it is the the fear you know what I mean
1: yeah there's definitely um such a massive feeling of this guy has given me an opportunity to prove myself so I have to and I was quite fortunate because he did see that in me he did see the passion in me that Within four weeks of starting there as a commie, I then got promoted to a chef to party. Do you
0: think that might have been a, a test? Like he might have thought, I'll offer him the job as a commie and if he takes it, then he's got something to bail him. Or...
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a wise move, you know, bringing someone in as a commie. If they don't fulfil the role that you want them to do, you've, you've lost nothing, you can keep but, them. But
0: there's a lot of people who think, well, I'm not a commie, I've, I've already worked up from a commie, I'm not going back there as a commie. And that's a test in itself to see if you'd still come on.
1: Yeah, I think there probably is. But at the same time, if you want the right training, if, if you want to be in the right places, you have to make the sacrifices.
0: I think Simpsons is one of them legendary restaurants as well. You know, everyone knows Simpsons. It was like, the, I think, I'm not sure, but it was one of the first Michelin
1: stars around, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Because Simpsons had already got a Michelin star but it moved to Birmingham at the same year that Jessica's yeah. was awarded a star as well. I couldn't remember. I knew it was somewhere like, because it used to be in Kenilworth and then they moved. Yeah. 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 It, the thing is with Simpsons, it's more, it's less of a, a restaurant, two chefs. It's more of an institution. It's where you go for grounding and to better your skills and better your knowledge, really. And if you want to kind of progress and you don't want to move away from Birmingham, it's the perfect place to go.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean it oozes class even as a customer like it's it's an unbelievable place and the food next level like it's brilliant but it's got such a talented kind of brigade there as well was it the
1: same when you were there as well yeah the, there was some great chefs when i started there you know there still is like leo was there when i started um, it's obviously a past master chefs
0: professionals i think he gets final or semi-final uh, he was, i'm not it, sure where he got to, to he be got honest. somewhere
1: he was good i know that <laughs> yeah I, I remember giving him quite a bit of banter at the time which <laughs> i regretted when i went on there myself because i thought if i don't do better than leo now i'm gonna get a load of stick <laughs> But no, you know, great guy, obviously, Luke. Matt Chiel was there as well. Matt Chiel was there as head chef. Uh, there was Georgina, who was sous-chef. She'd been there for like, I think, about eight years when I started. So most of the senior team had already been there for quite a long time. That speaks for itself, really. Like, <laughs> Yeah, in terms of staff retention, you know, you look at Leo, he's done like 10 years now, and Ben, the sous-chef, who's under Leo, has done 13 years, I think, you know. Yeah, yeah um, incredible. So it was it was definitely a bit weird walking in and kind of but I was quite fortunate at the time of starting that all the lower kind of ranked people did a whole switch. So there was a whole brand new team in terms of chef de parties and commies and it allowed me to really kind of prove myself and grow into a role there.
2: So working in a Michelin star kitchen was that a big jump in sort of what you're expected to do and the knowledge you're expected to have and just in the whole experience was it instantly notable to you like shit this kitchen's fucking i've got to up my game now
1: yeah i think it's not so much about the michelin star it's more more about the chef that holds it because i've ate a lot of michelin star restaurants that i don't think should be and i've ate a lot of restaurants that i think should have a michelin star but i think it's about you know luke's standards are so high that that will all simpsons will always retain a star because of luke standards and that was something that was quite obvious from day one
0: which restaurants do you think should have a michelin star
1: oh um i mean i know it's going to sound a little bit biased but maybe the wilderness uh
0: (laughs) lucky for you
1: we both wholeheartedly agree with that (laughs) yeah yeah i think i think you know i don't know what it's judged on and i I would never bad mouth you know kind of the the system that they work from but there's definitely you know other restaurants like Cheel's, I think, should have a Michelin star. Matt's, Matt's cooking is... I thought is, Chills did. You know, doesn't no. doesn't.
0: I thought Cheel's had a Michelin star. No, well, it, it definitely, definitely should. It definitely <laughs> deserves one, mate. Yeah, yeah
1: for sure. Yeah, like, it's, And it, it's, it's so good now that, you know, Birmingham is recognised and Birmingham, you know, has as many Michelin stars as it does. Like with Theme getting a star this year as well, which is great because Actar's an amazing chef. And he's got a good team behind him. Obviously, Neil's great as well. It's more than deserved, and I think this city will just keep going and going. Hopefully,
0: yeah. I mean, I still think there's a few more that should really get a look in. Like Harborne Kitchen, I thought it was stunning. You, you went to Folium. Folium.
2: Folium's fantastic. Really impressed with Folium. Really nice. What do you think is about Birmingham compared? Because you look at Manchester and Liverpool. There's one in Manchester, none in Liverpool. What do you think it is about Birmingham that's just spurred? this just amazing restaurant scene and just the amount of stars we have here now.
1: I think going back to what we talked about earlier and it's the training, it's working under people that have really high standards and just trying to mimic what they do really without copying their style, just trying to, you know, progress
2: and progress almost like a homegrown restaurant scene. So could you put it all down to Simpson's restaurant really? Cause literally everywhere that's got a star in Birmingham, has passed through them doors at some point
1: everyone's kind of had some kind of affiliation with simpsons but i think as well it's a it's a lot to do with not only just simpsons but simpsons obviously is a great example but finding yourself a mentor someone that can kind of teach you what it's all about and kind of watch you on your journey and tell you when you're going wrong which is something that like i said simpsons does provide but there's also a lot of restaurants out there that do the same as well
2: is there anything you added to the menu while you were there at simpsons or is it or just like no you don't add stuff, we had stuff <laughs> no, no i think you know it was a
1: very sometimes there was a very open feel about it in which luke would ask your kind of um, opinion on things obviously luke writes the menu you know because and it it's something that I do as well, you know if if for whatever reason, then something goes wrong, there's no one else to blame, yeah, um, you have to take responsibility for it, and if it's hanging over your head it's it's more than right that you write the menu, you know, yeah, um, but there was definitely that creative freedom to be able to say "Oh, i've seen this, what do you think of this idea?" and then we would work on it together it 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 was just more than anything it was it was almost hard to keep up with him because he's so creative and he would just mm. come in off the back of popping home and cooking dinner and be like, oh, I just cooked, I don't know, a lasagna for dinner. Why don't we try a lasagna with, <laughs> you know? And he, he's just one of those chefs that he finds inspiration in everything. Oh, yeah. he, he can find inspiration in the veg aisle in Sainsbury's, you <laughs> know? So how long were you at Simpsons for? So I was at Simpsons for three years. Went from commie to... a I'd say like a junior sous level and that just give me the grounding that give me the kind of knowledge and just the kind of idea of where I wanted to be where I felt my place was in the industry and from there I kind of spoke to Luke and as any great mentors do he wanted to push me on to the next level we spoke about maybe going to a two-star at the time uh, Champignon Sauvage and because of things that happened outside of work. So uh, during that time where I was kind of undecided what to do, my partner Tash actually said to me, oh, we're pregnant, by the way. We're going (laughs) to have a little boy. In which Jack was on his way, so I couldn't go and work in a 2 machine style, which I I really don't mind, you know. Jack is worth much more than 2 machine style.
2: Is that just Um, the hours you'd have to put in or just the distance travelling to it? It's
1: the hours, it's the travelling, it's the money, it's everything, you know, you when you go and work in these restaurants you're committed to almost like a single life you know it's quite difficult to have a family and work in that level restaurant but then what I had to do instead was the complete opposite and go and work in a place that I didn't really want to work but it paid well and it meant that we didn't need to worry about all the other things that you actually work for, you know, like keeping a roof over your head, keeping food on the table, which is difficult when one of you isn't working because obviously Tash should just yeah. have the little one.
2: So um, why not just stay at Simpsons? So I could have stayed at
1: Simpsons, but, you know, I, I always felt guilty about kind of it, it would have almost been like um, a guilty proposition to say, oh, you need to pay me more money because we're having a baby, you know. But my position isn't changing, but I need more money than probably what the sous chef is on. So I had to go and work in a restaurant called 55 Wade Street in Litchfield. Like, oh, I say I have to. No one put a gun to my head. But, <laughs> you know, I feel like afterwards they might have done. It It was um, an eye-opening experience. It, it was, you know, partly my own fault, but partly the guy who owned it. He wanted to replicate something similar in style to what Simpsons was. Um but had no idea how to do it. Had no idea how much budget you would need for it. And then would come to me on a Saturday night and be like, You'll be like you'll be alright on your own, wouldn't you? For uh <laughs> covers. But with um, you know, like pre-theatre menu and an a la carte menu. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll be fine, mate, don't worry. You know, Fuck so that that know. didn't last for very long. Um I'm starting to feel like this interview sounds like me just going down a really big slope. <laughs> um, there is, there is some good bits coming, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it, um, it takes a turn. Yeah, so that that was kind of, uh, you know, obviously not a great moment again. Like every time I kind of, and I guess it is kind of being young, that I felt like I was making a good decision. Sometimes it wasn't. And sometimes as well, you know, at the time I definitely thought, oh, why didn't people tell me not to do this? But then I look back on it and people did. But I did it because I was young and I was like, oh, you know, I know better. Um, Did you
0: at least learn from these kind of
1: little blips and mistakes? I I think you learn from everything. I think you learn from, you know, every part of cooking that you do. You learn something new, whether it be about yourself, whether it be about how to cook, how to run a restaurant. You learn about everything. And because, you know, that wasn't working out, I then kind of um, spoke to actually a guy that was my college lecturer at Housing College. And he's a investor in the wilderness um part owner of the wilderness and he said to me well i did miss a slight bit of the story he said to me why don't you go and have a chat to alex but before this i'd actually had a chat previously with alex before and i said no, I'm going to, you know, somewhere like Champignon Sauvage, I'm going to work at a two-star, I don't want to come and work for you, blah, 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 um, you know, and I was probably a little bit... Was ungrateful. it as
0: abrupt as that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: you know, it definitely probably was a little bit ungrateful at the time.
0: Lucky enough, Alex is fairly thick-skinned.
1: Yeah, yeah, oh, <laughs> definitely, if you know Alex, you know he's got a skin <laughs> like a rhino, you know. Um, I won't say he looks like one too, but if he's listening, you know. I may proper mugs you off in the chat. Really, (laughs)
0: I'm (laughs) messing. We have to bring the mic. We have a fire in the booth.
1: No, it's you know I kind of um, declined his offer at the time, and I yeah I guess I was a little bit rude and again a little bit naive, young and kind of had my intentions in my head. You don't really think about what if something changes. Um, so then, afterwards, I kind of went to him with a little bit of uh, angst and uh, said, "Oh, I don't suppose you have a job, do you, by any chance?" And he, you know, he made me work for it a little bit, only a little bit. Like I won't, you know, I won't tell you that he he, he what he uh, made me go through. No. What was the offer? Like straight away, head chef was it? A- no. So he he kind of offered me because the sous chef at the time was leaving um, to go travelling, and he said, "You can come in as sous chef." Um, but I'd already, already heard on the grapevine that Louisa was doing MasterChef at the time. Yeah. Um, Louisa and she, was finalist, I think, two yeah, or three she, years ago. Yeah, she was a finalist two years ago. And, you know, at the time she was Junior Sue. This was before it had aired. And, like, when I initially started, I think she was quite doubtful of me coming in above her because, you know, I'd spent some time in a restaurant that wasn't great because I'd have situation whatever and she got loads of ideas she's just a master chef so she was still kind of reeling off the hype we had a great situation and we had a good team in there and it was difficult at times because it was actually based out of i'm trying to put the best words for this but it was based out of an autistic cafe the back of new street when i joined the wilderness initially yeah um yeah. just off dudley street and yeah and during some services, when it was quite loud, the uh, the lady who worked in the other half of the building used to come in and scream to turn the music down. So it was definitely an unconventional restaurant, um, <laughs> to say the least. You know, but it was it was a great kind of learning curve for all of us, I think, because it was such a small space, and we were trying to do something quite different. And for the first three months of me being there, it was solely Alex's food.
0: Yeah. What uh, did you think in the first three months? Like, because like, obviously Alex quite unique. The restaurant was very unique. There's rock music playing. It's it's pretty far away from Simpsons.
1: Yeah, Alex, Alex is a lot. When I first joined, I thought, God, this guy's nuts. Like, But you just learn how to take him, you know, because he's, he's quite um, – he is the extrovert, which I'm the opposite. I'll, yeah. I'll shy away from kind of having a garish conversation with somebody that I don't know, whereas he, he will quite happily, you know, do the cut and eye Joe around 30 people that he's never met before. So, But,
0: I mean, like food-wise as well, it was quite different to um – Simpsons as well wasn't it really
1: yeah it's it it was using some classical techniques and just I think a lot of it was for the shock factor I don't think he minds admitting that himself that a lot of it was to draw people's interest you know like using ants on a dish yeah um, and it
0: worked it got national press yeah, so.
1: exactly yeah he's he's definitely a clever guy there's no doubt about that mm. you know he's he's um kind of marketing strategy and the way that he built the wilderness up from what it initially started out as to what it is now is brilliant. And then, kind of after around three months, we moved from Dudley Street to the jewelry quarter, in which I started to go with him, go to him with these ideas of like, "Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that." You know, and he saw that I had real intention for the restaurant, and kind of said, "Oh, well, do you want to be the the head chef?" You know, kind of sent me away, gave me some ideas of dishes that he liked the look of, like the Big Mac. Yeah. yeah. And then just developed those dishes over a space of about, probably about six weeks. Did he give you your own kind of space, like
0: to go in the way and do that? He encouraged
1: you to do that kind of thing? Or? Yeah, so I've had creative freedom over the menu for the last two years. Which, yeah. Which has been great because it's it's meant I've been able to not only develop a style for the restaurant, but also for myself. You know, and I've been able to cook my own food for the last two years. Of course, like the the food that I cook at certain times does have a little bit of Alex's character in there as well, because of you know he wants this rock and roll restaurant, which everyone loves, which yeah. I I love as well. But I think now more so, my food is breaking away not not breaking away, but it's kind of I'm going back to my roots. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of honing back into technique and I want to go down those lines
0: so the wilderness menu is quite heavy on like there's a lot of Asian influence in there and then quite a few of your dishes a master chef were quite Asian influenced as well is is that would that be more you or more Alex? Like
1: all the all the dishes on the menu at the moment are mine. Yeah, um, so like the cod satay and yeah the um, Thai green curry. Yeah. yeah, so they're kind of dishes that that I've developed over the two years, and I think looking back now over even just two years, and that's you know it, it seems mad that it's only that amount of time because we've gone through probably about 60, 70 dishes, which on a tasting menu style format is a lot do you feel like it's just greatly improved over them two years as well for sure it's definitely improved over the last two years because it was my first head chef role my first time really finding my own feet you know and uh, I went to do a um, stage at a restaurant in Sheffield called Yoro Mm. and Luke French who's the owner he was using a lot of like Japanese produce even though I'd You know, I'm aware that there's a Japanese community, Chinese community, you know, general Asian community, Indian community in Birmingham. I'd never really thought about doing that as my own style because I'd worked at restaurants that were classically, you know, kind of French based or progressing towards kind of Nordic style cuisine. But I'd never thought about cooking the food of Birmingham. And that when I went there, that was almost like a, a turning point for me.
0: So Alex Conniff says as well the same thing, that like it, the food represents Birmingham, but you both sat around a table or something and said, yeah, this is very Birmingham-like, this is Birmingham-like. Or No, I think
1: it just happened naturally, just to natural. be honest. I think it it was a case of that we we both enjoy eating what we cook. Yeah, Like we both have a mad love for takeaways, like to the point where, you know, um, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, getting a black black card for the meat shack, you know, Oh, I
0: nice. <laughs> Jealous.
1: <laughs> Tell him about that month that you spent £200 in caves. Yeah, like,
2: so... <laughs> so I you need your phone, do you mean? <laughs> so so
1: there, was, there was a point earlier in my uh, career where, you know, you, you're not always at home to cook. This is my excuse. This is a feeble excuse. <laughs> I'll, I'll just cut to the truth. So what happened was I went to the bank about a mortgage on a, on a house... And he said, you know, if you, want, if you want to get a mortgage, you're going to have to sort your finances out. And I was like, well, there's nothing wrong with my finances. There's money in my account. There's a deposit. What's wrong with that? And he said, well, you're spending £200 a month on KFC. For start."
2: <laughs> so I was like, "Well,
0: wow. Oh, God, that's bad. Um, that's not embarrassing. Do you, mate, if people think these, like, all you talented chefs are going home and cooking yourself something from scratch, like that you'd eat in the restaurant... You're on drugs because they're not. You're going home. You have it, especially what time you've done a twelve-hour, thirteen-hour shift. You're
1: finishing at midnight or something. You're going straight to the drive-through, and you're like, oh, "Too right, mate." <laughs> I, I, quite often, you know, if it's late at night, I will end up in Neilim's kebab house in Bearwood. Don, <laughs> don a kebab fries, you know, a bit of chili mayo. That's that's the one after work.
2: You've got me thinking now. What's your best thing at KFC?
1: Oh, KFC, my my go-to order if I'm honest, is a stacked-up Zinger burger with hot wings, corn, um, large Coke, and two flaming wraps.
2: Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sold. Sold. Your order. Yeah. I'm getting on the way home now, man. Definitely.
1: That's just on the lighter days. I mean, the heavier days is a bit more, but... Would you say the Big Mac's better as a snack or as it is now? Well, I mean the The thing about the Big Mac that we do at the Wilderness, it actually looks like the photo it started from. Whereas when you go to McDonald's, you look at the photo up on the big screen, and it it comes out and it looks like a you know limp sock. It, it's
0: oh sorry, I didn't really make I meant as like the first I went to Wilderness two thousand eighteen, and it was like one mouthful. Yeah. yeah, and I went there a couple of weeks ago, obviously, and it was uh, like. A knife and fork, Jubby.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. It's some you know, it's something that's progressed. It's almost like a staple on the menu. And Alex definitely this was one of the dishes that initially Alex said, I want you to go away and work on, you know. <laughs> Alex kind of said to me, Oh, I like the flavours of a Big Mac. How can we make it into something else? Um and that's kind of what we did, you know. We brought How long did it
0: take you to to nail it? Because it is nailed. I mean, anyone who hasn't been and tasted the Big Mac. All of the
1: flavors are there it's done if i'm honest i don't think it was um you know it's been a conscious one off effort to get it where it is it's been one of those dishes that it's progressed over time, like a few of them have you know only only a few dishes of memory have stayed the way they began um but I think that's kind of leading back to our original discussion of sometimes people aren't naturally talented they're just hard working and you just have to recognize if you can't get something right you need to work at it and get it right
0: yeah definitely definitely agree with that so obviously two two great years at the wilderness it's and this weekend I don't know when people are going to listen to this but this is probably your last weekend at the
1: wilderness yeah so this is my kind of Last little bit of the wilderness, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of like man hugs between me and Alex, and maybe even a, a small tear on Saturday night. Oh, the bromance is beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> well, I meant more so for Alex with what I got in mind for him, but um, <laughs> no, it, it he's a great guy, and you know, to have the opportunity that I've had, I can't thank him enough, really. But as for what's next, it's a project that's going to be in Birmingham based in the jewellery quarter that's kind of as much as I can kind of give away at the moment yeah that's kind um, of something
0: for people to look forward to keep yeah, an eye on you on
1: social media and stuff
0: make it, sure that they're I watching
1: mean, I would like to say it's it's a cliffhanger it's not it's just that people are really slow at doing anything legal um, yeah, yeah you know so whereas like chefs will work 19 hours to get the job done people in an office as soon as it turns five o'clock i'm going home you know so when you're waiting for something to come back it's it, it can make it quite difficult at times but no it's it's a it's a kind of great thought and it's something that i never really thought about that we'd be able to even consider having our own business you know because it's going to be run by me and my partner tash Yeah. Um, Who's also, well, she's spent longer working in restaurants than I have, and she's worked in more Michelin style restaurants than I have. So she comes with a great amount of experience. I don't want to go too deep
0: into the kind of unglamorous side of it, but like, did you have much experience with like costing the menu and stuff at Wilderness? And like, has that prepared you for? owning your own business and
1: yeah i mean every part of running a restaurant is unglamorous <laughs> um you know i've seen some terrible sites all you have to say to alex is how's your five p's i won't go into any details but you know if you see him out and about just ask him how's your five p's i've noted
0: that i've definitely noted that <laughs> uh, so the, the kind of reason we're here to well not the only reason like but a, a very big reason obviously is master chef how did that
1: come about? Um, so it really, it really was the case of kind of having our little lad Jack, and as I said, you know, I'm I'm getting better at these kind of setups where I have to talk about myself, and I'm um, I'm I guess I am kind of warming to the idea. But before doing MasterChef and like filming for that and everything, I was kind of I've always been. The, the kind of person that I'm not confident in what I do I have to kind of reassure myself that I'm doing the right thing and I have to look to other people for reassurance as well. I just thought this is, you know, this is a much bigger thing than I'm willing to do. I don't want to go on live TV, sorry, not live TV. I don't want to go on national TV and mess it up and look like an absolute idiot. But then at the same time, I'm, you know, I've got my little lad and I'm, say, I'm going to say to him, like a typical dad does, Oh will just go out there, just do it, you know, stop moaning, just get on with it. And how can I say that if I'm not willing to do it myself? So I thought, you know what, bite the bullet, sign up for it, see what happens.
2: So do they make you audition or is because of the level you're already at? Do they just say, yeah, right, you just start. This is the first show coming. No, this is what of, we're course, gonna do. of course they make you audition
1: because, I mean, if I've done, again, I'm doing quite well at this not swearing thing. But if Are you allowed to swear on ours? Don't oh, worry yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, but I'm, I'm quite well trained now after the whole MasterChef scenario of not, not swearing and kind of bringing the ant bringing the question back into the answer it's you know it's become almost difficult to have a normal conversation <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when someone asks you at the KFC window oh what would you like and you say well I would like <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it, it's definitely uh, it you changed don't. the way that I think about you know conversations and stuff and about what I'm saying which actually is quite a good thing in terms of PR uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no so you kind of get They get thousands of applicants. They then take that down to hundreds. They interview hundreds of people. And then from that, they take 48 that they think will, you know, be successful on the show. And luckily, I was one of the 48 because I think if I'd have got declined,
2: I don't think I would have applied again. (laughs) Do you like meet Marcus or anything before it all starts, or you literally turn up in the kitchen and he just rolls in? So,
1: for anyone that has iPlayer on their TV, just go back to the first episode of when I when I come on the TV, and I cannot even get my apron on. That that was how <laughs> nerve wracking it was. That that was the first time meeting the judges, being in front of the cameras, um, everything. What was the
0: show really like? Because like we've done a an episode before with somebody who was on the normal MasterChef and they were, like, say, like, obviously it's only an hour-long episode and there's so much more that goes into it, like, was the bits and pieces that you don't see or was there any... Like, we hear mad stories of, like... Um, television runners or something messing with ovens and there was none of that trying to make it into a tv program or anything
1: no i think you know anyone that comes out with kind of sabotage stories are just trying to make an excuse for why it didn't go very well
0: the winner Uh, would say that though wouldn't they
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I i guess there's that but no it's you know it's a tv show at the end of the day and yeah i've got nothing bad to say about it. It was such a great experience. And, you know, if, if you want to kind of test yourself, that's the place to do it.
0: Was it hard to get... Did you get, like, quite close to the other contestants in each round, like, and then to say goodbye to them? Like, it must be quite tough.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's almost like um, being at school and then your friends get put into a different class. Mm. That's almost what it's like, you know. But luckily, because everyone was so nice, I had I didn't have a select group of people that i liked i liked everyone
0: did you get any kind of like were you told to prep did they give you any clues of what you'd be cooking with before or any time to practice or anything there
1: the um schedule between filming can be quite tough but you you definitely you know you know what you're putting yourself in for so before you even apply you should kind of brush up on your skills and be thinking of dishes that you that you Want to be cooking, but then the rest of it, when it comes to like the skills test and the invention tests,
0: how know? scary was the skills test? Because it looks terrifying. Like I think you had Monica's uh crepe souffle, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if Jesus. if someone would like to tell me what a crepe souffle is, as I still don't know, <laughs> I didn't have a clue. Um, you done it though You
1: nailed it. You yeah, absolutely well, smashed I, it. I don't know about that. I mean, I, I you were one of the best yeah. ones on it. Yeah, I definitely just kind of winged that one, you know, um, it wasn't one of my proudest moments. I have
0: definitely never heard of a crepe souffle until that point.
1: <laughs> no, but that's, I think that's the beauty of it. I think actually I'd have been a little bit annoyed if I'd have got a croque mature because I think I'll, under the intense pressure that you're under, I would have probably still messed that up. If Monica and so. st-
0: um, Marcus were standing over me, asking me to make beans and toast, I would be shitting myself.
1: Yeah, yeah, oh, mate. It's, <laughs> it's
0: intense. Yeah. It's just because, I mean, it's intense watching it and there's only the three of them. But then you got to think for you, there was like a film crew. <laughs> there was yeah. a load of other people no. just staring at you, like yeah. waiting for you to die in your ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, I think, you know, and any as well, like all the people there, they want you to do well. Everyone wants oh, that's you to nice. do well. Because that no one does anything to like make you do anything differently to what you normally would. It's all on all on your own kind of skill set and all on your own abilities, really.
0: You're lucky because if I was on that like set, I'd be going into the green room, going, "You want to see this skills test? No chance, mate. You got no <laughs> chance. Just trying to shit them up a bit." Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, it it it's a really good kind of setup, and everyone's really friendly, and it's it yeah, it's just a great place to kind of get an idea of what you're capable of i
0: think it's quite funny in that first episode you you kind of i don't say like i don't mean any offense with this because obviously we know you go on to win it but you kind of scrape through that first episode yeah i think if we asked you then how far do you think you'll get i don't know
1: if you would have said i am i've got a good chance here no from from day one my mindset was just get through round one yeah. um you know it, it was kind of like get through round one and you can you you can just about get by in the industry
0: would you being just happy with that <laughs> was that what your aim was going into it or was it are you quite competitive like you don't strike me yeah, as competitive I, I, I'm,
1: I'm i guess i'm secretly competitive in a way in my own way i'm almost more competitive with myself than i am with other people you know i want to just keep pushing myself i don't really take too much interest in what other people are doing um but i'm definitely quite hard myself and try and get things right so that's why the first couple of rounds well the first round um, was quite hard for me Um, and it was definitely a confidence thing like the first round was definitely because I was so unconfident in what I was doing in Mm. kind of myself and my abilities that When I got through that round, I almost had to give myself a short, sharp slap, you know, like just (laughs) get on with it and show them what you're actually made of. Stop trying to, you know, be nice and just go for it.
0: Do you think that attitude helps though? Because you see a lot of the ones who come in and they're very cocky and they're like yeah i'm the head chef i'm i'm 21 i'm head chef of a pub you've never heard of yeah. and i'm here to win master chef the pros and then they go out the first round yeah. Whereas you were like the opposite of that you were like yeah i think i'm head is-
1: chef of a top restaurant but i'm very humble yeah no i think it it's part of just who i am really it's not for tv anyone that knows me knows that i'm just me you know i can't I can't be anyone else. I'm not intelligent enough to be. <laughs> um, I think you're
0: playing down things there. Like No,
1: I do- no, I've, I've, you know, I've always kind of just said things as they are and just tried to be myself. And that's what I did with MasterChef, really.
2: Dishes like the faggots and stuff. Is that stuff you've, cooked variations of before do you is everything you come up with that's new is that like a brand new dish do you get much time to come up with a dish or do you do stuff that you've done in the past that you think yeah that's nice i can work on this and try and do this Because,
1: because of the at the time of filming i was also obviously running the wilderness and i didn't take any time off because i felt guilty about not being there anyway so in terms of practicing dishes and stuff i had quite little time really to practice which in some aspects did me quite well because I didn't worry about it too much because I was just worried about making sure the food went out right for the people that were paying me to cook for them at the time you know as for like the faggots I've never cooked a faggot before in my life no nah. no and I didn't even practice the recipe I just went for it because this just, was the street food episode yeah, and I, just, I was
2: blown away like yeah. looking at it I was like shit that looks amazing I, I just
1: like, kind of followed my gut really um just you know just hope for the best
0: yeah, that was my favourite one of your dishes that you cooked, actually. Obviously, with the story behind it and most of us, probably, yeah, we're all brought up on that kind of thing. Like, Yeah, exactly. Uh, what would you say was your favourite
1: that you cooked? Um, My favourite out of the whole series was probably the suckling pig belly that's in the uh, chef's table round. So there's chefs that have got 26 Michelin stars. I think that's right anyway. Uh, you know, kind of past three and I lose count. Um <laughs> But the, a room full of, you know, the best chefs in the country, basically. So that's the final where you cook the free course? No, th- that- this was um, just one one course. So you do one course each. Oh, between, yeah, the big room. Yeah, yeah, yeah between yeah, yeah. four chefs. Um, oh, and yeah, I landed man. the main course, so no um. pressure. <laughs> so I did suckling pig belly with langoustine, Thai green bisque, black pudding oh, and yeah. yuzu. And so that was... That was a big dish, you know, big flavors. And if if I'm honest, I just thought, you know, what what do chefs like to eat? And a big bit of pork belly with crackling on it. You know, chefs love that. That's why. Everyone loves that. Yeah, of course. I love that. (laughs) Chefs are harder to to please the most. So if you can please them, you can please anyone, really. So it was just kind of doing something that I knew that they would enjoy. And when I got such good feedback afterwards, it just kind of blew me away because these are the best chefs in the country. And a lot of them... I remember being at Howe own College, looking on Staff Canteen and other kind of platforms and looking at what they were doing and being like, oh my God, I don't even know how they do that, you know? And then to be in a room cooking for them, that was, it was just unreal. You didn't get, uh, like, didn't become too much or no, you weren't too nervous? I think, you know, at certain times I come across as almost like emotionless because I, I, I've got my own kind of coping mechanisms and that's just to focus on what I'm doing and just... Get on with it.
2: What happens after? Because you know, you all stand, they all stand up and clap and tell you how much they like the dishes and stuff. Do you all get to go and hang out together or just go and speak to them and just chill out for the afternoon or they all just like fuck off straight away?
1: No, I wish if there was some like crazy story of going out to a bar and or a strip club till like six <laughs> in the morning and you know kind of, but no, there was none of that. It was, you know, there was definitely the offer there, but after work in the day that we just had, yeah. I was just more than happy to crash in the hotel with a pizza. <laughs> um, just getting the feedback from those people, it it's honestly, it's life-changing. It definitely instills you with the confidence you need to go forward.
2: Had you already met some of the top chefs that were there?
1: Yeah, well, Glyn was there. So, obviously, I, I work for Glyn at the Asquith, like part time whilst I was at college um just washing pots and pans um so I and obviously knew of Glenn. Who doesn't know of Glenn? Yeah and I've I'd actually ate at Moor Hall probably about two months before seeing Mark Birchall in that restaurant um in which obviously he's now got two stars, etc. Yeah. And just a general great, great chef like so inspiring.
2: So, do you know who which chefs are going to be there before you start cooking? Do they tell you the list, or do you just like walk into the room and like, oh fuck?
1: It's just really a case of walking into the room and going, oh fuck, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like oh, so you're here, you're here, okay,
2: everyone's here, brilliant. See, so salmon course in the final. Uh, tell us about that. It kind of
1: draws inspiration from uh, just traditional smoked salmon you know of working in hotels and sneaking a bit of smoked salmon while nobody's looking but the way that I did it in the competition was using obviously the Asian influence that I use in a lot of my cooking which is inspired by Birmingham and I wanted to showcase my style in all of those three dishes so that each kind of element did have an Asian flavour that I utilise pretty much every day So it had like a tomato ponzu on the dish. So like a citrus soy sauce that had been flavoured with tomato and lime. The salmon had been cured in soy, mirin, dashi vinegar, you know, lots of big flavours.
2: Do you feel like the process of MasterChef has made you up your game even more than you were before you went into it?
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of changed how I look at food. It's definitely changed kind of... I wouldn't say changed, it's definitely helped me develop my style because, you know, having judges like Marcus and Monica who are brutally honest, you know, they will pick up on the smallest detail that I might have gone slightly adrift and then started thinking about doing techniques that weren't necessarily flavour-driven, whereas for MasterChef everything was about flavour. Even, you know, in the final I looked across at one point at Olivia's food and I thought, if that tastes as good as it looks... I'm in fucking trouble here. Like, because it was just stunning. She it's like, strong
0: yeah. I, I actually yeah. thought Olivia was going to win it. I yeah. did. No offense. Yeah. Like, no. She went no. no. her food. Stunning. Right. You got my coat. <laughs> 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 nice. Um, done. Oh, it was good. Why we it lasted? <laughs> 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 no, um,
1: I thought it was incredible. You know, her food is like artwork on a plate, you know, but I was, I was just lucky that, I packed so much flavour into the dishes that they couldn't taste anything else afterwards. Did you always know what you were going
0: to um, cook in the final, or
1: not until about three days before? No, <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely just kind of, um, yeah. Let's let's do this. Let's kind of.
0: So did you get much practice? No, or
1: I mean, for the final, I practiced twice before. Um, so once was an untimed run it was just kind of practice and see where we're at with flavors and how the dishes come together Um, Tash come over because I actually practiced it at the restaurant and she said that's the best like one of the best plates of food I've ever had in my life when she tried the salmon and I thought like no she's got to be like you know just saying that to build my confidence kind of thing and you know as anyone that knows me knows that I'm not big-headed in any kind of sense and when i sat down and ate it i was like fuck this is really good i could
0: be that's on the menu now isn't it the world it's the soy cured salmon with the uh, dehydrated
1: skin yeah so Um, the garnish has slightly changed just because of the season yeah um, that that salmon was the um the og the master chef kind of dish um and then obviously the the guinea fowl has taken a different form on the menu as well yeah so it I was definitely in that mindset when I came back of like, sorry, when I came back from MasterChef into the wilderness of trying to get this food on the menu, evolve it, like the the pork dish that I did in the semi-final. I had, a, I had great feedback for it, but then I evolved it further within the restaurant and it was such a strong dish, like to the point that we had to take it off because I I thought like if we don't take this off, it's never coming off. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So how did you feel once you found out that you won? Did I uh, tell you they don't pre-warn you enough in this? It literally like it is on telly. Yeah, it just
1: it's, it's an honest reaction. Mate. Yeah. It's, you know like I think that's the most shocked I've ever looked in my life because I really, really, really didn't think it was me, which you know you can really see in the episode because when they announce who's won it, I actually glanced across at Olivia getting ready to congratulate her based on what I'd seen and they said Stu. And then I was like, Who? <laughs> who's this guy oh it's me you know like and that that was like wow and then I think obviously the funniest bit for me the bit that you'll see when when you watch it and it's when they say to me oh do you want to make a phone call do you want to ring Tash and tell her you've won so I rang Tash and said I oh, guess who just won MasterChef and she went oh that's nice I was like <laughs> alright um, you're going to congratulate me then and she said Well, I would, but I mean M and S, and that was it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that brings you straight back down to I've done it.
1: So if anyone could have been worse, she
0: could have said, "Well, I knew Olivia would win. Uh, I thought she was great."
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, if anyone wonders where the grounding comes from, there we go. Yeah. Did you tell your son what the, the Oh yeah. Jack Jack's been watching me the whole way through and you know, he's, to the point where he even says to people, Daddy's on the telly, Daddy's on the telly and they're like, got no idea what he's on about. They're just thinking he's making something <laughs> up, you know. Because obviously he's two years old and he's kind of you know, talking a lot, he's experiencing new things and when people say, Oh, what does he mean, Daddy's on the telly and then I have to explain and they're like, So you're off the telly? And I'm like, Yeah. No, for me, it doesn't feel like this amazing big thing. Of course, you know, I feel so proud to have won it. I feel like it's such a great experience. But at the same time, I think people think that I'm going to be a lot different to what I actually am in real life.
0: I don't think you're the kind of person that would that would get changed by the whole kind of TV thing. Like, I think you can. I think why so many people love you on the telly is why you you just seem normal, like you seem like you're being yourself the whole time, which is really
1: nice. Like, you know, I mean, I I said to you before we started recording, like nothing's really changed for me. Mm. Like, yeah, I've been on the telly, but I still drive the same car, still live in the same place, still eat the same food, still spend £200 a month at KFC, (laughs) you know.
0: Was it hard to keep it a secret? Obviously, because not live, so it was filmed a little while ago. So you've been working in the restaurant since and you've been keeping it a secret.
1: Yeah, it's always difficult to keep secret. I mean, this industry is renowned for gossiping. <laughs> Man, Mate, my, myself, I've never even
0: realised until we started yeah, doing this podcast. My,
1: myself included, you know, I love a good gossip. What about own... your son?
0: I was kind of thinking of your son because I thought, like, if I was on telly back a few months ago and I told my daughter I was on and I'd won something my my daughter would be going to anyone that she'd ever met saying my dad is on the telly and he's won MasterChef
1: well luckily because he's only two he can't put the two together yet he just tells them one at a time so (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, you know it's kind of easily deniable no it's great just to have this kind of secret out there now and just to be able to embrace it and get people's support and feedback because it's really nice. It's so nice that... And it's something that I've been consciously trying to do and I know it's only a small thing and, you know, I'm not making a big deal of it, but if someone messages me on social media, I try and message back. Yeah, because, that's
0: right. I mean, that's why this podcast come about because I think we we put a post up and straight away your message yeah, to say thanks. Was yeah, like, that's because,
1: nice. Because I, I, the way I look at it is people are taking their time to kind of support me so I want to react back I don't want to be one of those people that just kind of reads it and then that's it definitely been a few moments where I've had to block people that have messaged me you're but joking that's... like bad negativity like no not negativity just dick pics <laughs> 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 yeah you know I mean I've, I've somewhat found myself as a gay icon which I, I never I never really thought about before entering MasterChef Um, but yeah there's been a few people that have requested my snapchat which obviously I haven't given them not only because I don't have snapchat but also I've got a rough idea of their intentions (laughs) Um, but also there's been you know there's been a couple that have just come out the blue and I've kind of opened them in public places and then quickly tried to scramble them off my screen you know,
0: the master one... chef opens all kinds of doors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: um, there was one where I thought it was actually a veg supplier because it looked like a Jerusalem artichoke. <laughs> <shake>, but...
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> have you found it in the restaurant? since it started coming on the telly, uh, people obviously coming to have a little chat with studio, How's that been?
1: Yeah, that that's great. It's always great to talk to people and. For people to be interested in what you do, I feel like that's that's great. It gives me a platform to show what I do and also, you know, talk about the things that are good about the industry because too much time gets focused on what's bad about it. You know, everyone knows that you work long hours, it's just a given. Like, no one needs to hear about it. Like, you just got to focus on what's good about it and what's changing and what's, what's important. Yeah, it's
0: good grinding to have. I probably should have mentioned at that point as well, that the Wilderness Kitchen's all open plan, so you can see straight in. So yeah. So I bet you were hope- good go, that it was all open plan when they started being on the telly. Oh, yeah. It,
1: it, it's definitely a case of like, are they staring at me because I've got something on my face or are they staring at me because <laughs> they recognise me from MasterChef, you know, and I'm not that type of person to just start waving and then realise they're looking at someone behind me. Um which is quite a funny story, actually. I was at IKEA the other week, um and I was getting um some bits because we've just recently moved house, and this lady started you know intensely staring, which I thought I thought she was looking at someone behind me, so then I started looking behind me and she said, You're the guy off master Chef, and then all of a sudden I was like well wow, that was that was one of the first ones to kind of recognize me, and then all of a sudden. Three people off the back of that lady recognizing me then came over, and each time I apologized for eating meatballs at IKEA. (laughs) What's
0: the relationship like with the judges, like Monica and Marcus? Did you get to chat to them much afterwards, after the show? And have you still kept in contact? since it's
1: finished or yeah so i've I've actually got marcus's phone number now which is great jesus Um, yeah i think i've made it made (laughs) Made it it. um no but they're they're all very supportive you know greg as well like he comes yeah of course like he comes across as a a great personality and he is you know they're they're sorry snapchat yeah that's that's just all the dick pics raining in (laughs) um So they all come across as they are, really. They're they're really great people um, and they're really supportive. They just want you to do well. And I can't stress that enough. Anyone that kind of wants to do it, but is worried that they're going to get ripped to smithereens, they're not. They only say things because they want you to do better, Mm. you know. And there's definitely a case of almost like a a mentor-style relationship. And as you go through each round, they take more of an interest in you as a person. Well, that's good.
0: Because sometimes you think I'll tell you, I wonder if that's what they're really like because they do come across really nice. But you think I wonder, that's what. So it's nice to hear that that's what they are like. What advice would you have for anyone looking to go into MasterChef, the professionals?
1: Easy. Do it. Do it. Just do it. Believe in yourself. And, you know, if, if you want somewhere to kind of either to hone your style or to creator style there's no better kind of situation that you can just be thrown in at the deep end and go for it you know if if you want a platform maybe you want to do something to challenge yourself to go on to open your own restaurant like like I have you know this would have never have happened without MasterChef not not because of the publicity of it just because of the confidence issue
0: it's it's gotta be one of the best things ever to well I, I know you won't admit it because you're down to earth but yeah. it, it's a massive achievement like it's really huge like massive congratulations like yeah mate.
1: thank you you know it it I guess it still hasn't sunk in really it's just a just feels like another day you know <laughs> if I, I I don't know what it would take to make me really think of myself differently and I don't think I ever will which I think is probably what people like about me but yeah, it's a good thing that is yeah uh, I'll always just be who I am and I'll, I'll bring up my son the same way I think uh, like we've already touched on what you, a few
0: things you've got coming up you've got
1: supper club on New Year's Eve yeah so we've got a super club at the amazing and it's like yeah drop dead gorgeous like views over uh, Carbis Bay Um, stunning stunning hotel Tom Sellers was actually there um, I think it was during the summer in which he kind of did like a pop-up restaurant by the sea Um, so they're just recently looking at bringing kind of chefs in to do events and yeah we we well saw Super Club approach them to do one there and fortunately they said yes and then you know, kind of I got tagged into it as well and it's good. Is be, that
0: sold out? Is it or is there still tickets? Can people still get tickets or at,
1: at the moment, as we're sitting here today, it's not, but it is picking up traction quite yeah. quickly. So if you're fast you
0: might just get a ticket to yeah, that. It's a I good way to spend New Year's Eve Yeah, that.
1: oh what a way to spend New Year's Eve. I mean it's there's um I mean, don't quote me on this, but I think there's fireworks nearby, and it's just a stunning place to be. Like the bedrooms mm. are absolutely nuts, and they all face out onto the beach. Just an incredible place. Yeah,
0: it sounds stunning. Sounds really good. Obviously, you got you facing off against another kind of local legend in January. Yeah, it's January. Yeah, we're it's get, so we're right, going yeah, to that. Yeah, there. I think I saw that though, wasn't it? The boat with Liam Dillon. Who? Liam Dillon. Who? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, definitely got me there yeah
1: no it, no it's gonna be good fun liam's liam's a really same guy and um actually we've only just really started kind of having anything to do with each other and that's only because of alex and liam having you know kind of a bit of a bromance um, yeah they
0: have got a bit of a bromance yeah it's a exactly.
1: cool concept though isn't it because he's done a few against different chefs yeah so. it's, a, it's a great concept i mean obviously like you know um it, it's always difficult to be in that competition style um, setup when you're sending the, f- the food from the same pass and you're probably helping each other plate. Yeah. So, I mean, if he's listening, I'm not going to sabotage him, but I am going to be keeping a close eye on him.
0: You're there to win. This yeah, is, this exactly. isn't a friendly match. No, this is a smashed Master Chef. That's yeah, the starter, and now he's going for the main. Now I he mean, I'd to like smash to say am I'm
1: one for nil. But as I said. Right at the beginning, you know, after uh, losing that house in college competition, which I'm not bitter <laughs> about, Um, you know, I've got a lot to prove.
0: <laughs> you kind of just jog my memory there. There's something I want to ask you. Do you know, uh, Steve was, it was Steve, wasn't it, phoned you up and said, I hope you enjoy flipping burgers for the rest of your life. Yeah, he texted me. Yeah, he didn't, he, he didn't
1: have the courtesy to uh phone me. He texted me.
0: What did he just say? quick congratulations oh
1: no no as in like he oh texts yeah that, me. oh just yeah, at the yeah. time yeah he yeah, texted yeah. you
0: that oh, you haven't heard of him since no never well you haven't rubbed it in his face and said see me on telly no
1: no <laughs> I'm, not that, I'm not that type of person I mean I wish he was yeah. <laughs> that'd be a great story I think, I think at times I've, in hindsight I've definitely had that moment of like I should probably say this but no in, in reality. You could have done it like, at
0: any point when you were at Simpsons, when you head yeah. Chef of the Wilderness, when you won MasterChef, yeah. any of them would have been a good opportunity.
1: I think, you know, everyone makes their own path at the end of the day and, like, I'm focused on mine and not too worried about other people's. In
0: fairness, like, what have you... you you've won, like, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. <laughs> you've yeah. done all right for yourself. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I don't feel like I'm trying to prove things. I just feel like I'm trying to, you know, build a... a, a nice life for my family and that's that's what it's all about from now. Um, What's that
0: cheesy saying? Winners focus on winning. Losers focus on winners. Yeah,
1: the, yeah I that's mean that. There's, <laughs> there's definitely something like that. Like I've never had that kind of mentality to strive to win something like that. It was like I said, it was more of a shock than anything. Well it's definitely um, there because yeah, you did no, so <laughs> No it's reality and uh anyone that wants to see the trophy it'll be up in the restaurant when we open. Um but
0: yeah, it's just And as a, you've already said, you're quite approachable on social. You're mainly on Insta and Twitter?
1: Yeah, so I'm on Insta as Stuart underscore Dealey. Um Twitter, I'm not sure. Let me have a look.
0: I can put the I'll put everything in the show notes anyway, I'll put yeah, all your links cool. up there. Yeah, you're so, not on Facebook much, no one bothers with Facebook well, they I mean, like,
1: like Facebook's on mute because these dick pics are getting out of hand. <laughs> well that's probably not the phrase to use, but <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's Facebook's definitely creating more interest with uh, different types of audiences. Yeah, than, uh, it's the uh, Wild West,
0: isn't it? Facebook. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, if you want
1: to get, I'll put obviously the notes uh, in
0: the show notes, I'll put up all the links and that. So if yeah, people uh, want to drop you a message, hopefully no pictures,
1: no. doesn't need any more pictures. I, I just feel like now I'm going to get loads of. Uh, yeah. You gonna get it <laughs> my <one>? yeah, Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get people using loads of random objects as. Penis photos instead. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, if anybody's interested, I do have a party trick, which I can shave a mooli into the shape of a penis. That is one of my party tricks. Did
0: you learn this in Amsterdam by any chance?
1: Uh, No, as I only (laughs) went to Amsterdam recently and um, I spent most of the time in my own little world. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we had.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So we have a little thing at the end now where Carl questions everything. So he's, just a quick fire set of questions, one word, just yeah, yeah. banging
1: out. Yeah.
2: Dead simple, nothing complicated. Just so people learn a little bit about you. Yeah, definitely not complicated. There's <laughs> nothing to worry about. Which favourite movie?
1: Clockwork Orange.
2: Oh, good answer. That's a good one, that is. No, no one said that so far. What's your favourite band?
1: The Darkness. Going old school.
2: Wow, that is old school. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favourite spirit? I mean specifically by not just like vodka. I mean like to which bottle? Oh, I
1: thought you meant the kind that approaches you in bed <laughs> late at night. Um, We're hoping someday somebody comes back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> yeah. where I was going with it. Um, Slimer. probably rum. Yeah,
2: with any particular rum?
1: Overproof, sixty-nine percent. The stuff that yeah, yeah, the good stuff. It makes for a good night. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite uh, beer? Uh. Australia, Australia Dam. Yeah, that's Or in
1: No, Inadit Dam. Yeah, the one that was brewed by Feral Adria. Oh, wow. Yeah. So imagine best restaurant in the world and then he starts brewing
2: beer. It kind of
1: knocks Carlin out of the water.
2: Yeah, just a little bit. I think we know the answer to this one because it's the same one I've wrote down, but favourite big fast food chain? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> big fast food chain, KFC. Favourite type of takeaway? Chinese. And what's your favourite dish to cook at home?
1: Nando's.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's everything. Thanks very much for doing this, Stuart. Really, really appreciate it. Um, You've been brilliant. And again, congratulations on MasterChef. We've all been rooting for you. The whole of Birmingham's been behind you and we're
1: really chuffed that you won. Yeah, thank you very much. And, you know, just want to say I'm more than open to, you know, when when we open people coming over and seeing us and seeing what we're up to yeah, really looking forward to that so obviously keep an eye on Stuart on social media to see when that's opening up these past kind of six, seven weeks or however long it's been there's a lot more expectations now so uh, <laughs> you know it has to be right well you didn't show any signs of pressure
0: getting to you on the show so I'm not expecting you to be under too much pressure now so yeah just wait one day
1: I'll combust <laughs> <laughs>
0: thanks very much Stuart thanks again thank you well that was incredible <laughs> Wow, what well a story and what well a guy! Massive thank you to Stu for coming onto the show. Really, really appreciate it. And thank you also to all of our listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you. Um, we wouldn't really, couldn't do the show without you. What's the point without the listeners? There's no point in doing it. So thanks very much to all our listeners. Speaking of listeners, a massive welcome to all you new listeners. I'm very aware that obviously with the whole MasterChef thing happening just last night that we've probably gained a few new listeners today. So massive welcome to all of you. If you enjoyed this episode, why not just click that little subscribe button there, make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes. Especially our next episode, which is out on Friday the 3rd of January. It's a really, really, really big episode for us. It's kinda of, I don't wanna sound cheesy like, but it's what we might describe as a kind of dream episode for us i mean we were asked quite early on into doing this podcast over a year ago we were asked like who our dreams guests would be when we were interviewed for a little local magazine and alex claridge was on that list he was definitely one of the people we really respected most and wanted to really wanted to interview so we were like over the moon when he contacted us looking to come on the podcast so that's our next episode that comes out on Friday the 3rd of Jan. Obviously, Alex Claridge, just, just an absolute legend. Obviously, owner of The Wilderness, where Stu was head chef. I mean, if, if you've heard of any of our other episodes, you know that The Wilderness is probably one of mine and Carl's favourite restaurants. Probably one of the best meals I've had this year. And there's some really, really big things happening in 2020 for that restaurant. I mean in January, I think it's early January, I'm not sure if it's straight off the bat but they're moving into the new restaurant, moving into the old Nocturnal Animals building down on Bennett's Hill so that would be absolutely incredible. They've got some massive plans for that, obviously we talk about that on the episode. Alex gives us a nice little insight into what the new place is going to be like and what to expect so have a little listen for that. He actually talks about this new wilderness kind of He describes it as The Wilderness being the same restaurant, but kind of in a more mature version of of The Wilderness, you know. And I believe our podcast that we've done with Alex is probably one of the most mature and honest interviews Alex has ever done. I think he'd freely admit that. I think he even sent a tweet saying that. I mean, it's just so honest and it's brilliant. Yes, so be sure to come back for that one in January. Until then... Have a great Christmas, everyone, and we'll see you all in the new year. Thanks very much.